Now let's get into the Word today. And we're in a series called The Cloud and the Crowd. And we're contrasting, we're contrasting the vision that God has given us to give us the life He wants us to have, both temporally and eternally. And that vision, of course, was physically in the, in the nation of Israel when they came out of Egyptian bondage. They crossed the Red Sea. God gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And as we pointed out last week, this was a common military uh, way of commanding an army, was to create a huge bonfire in the day. There would be smoke signals, and the army would, would respond with a bonfire to let the general know up ahead they had gotten the signals. So he would choose the highest point ahead of them to say, this is the direction we're going to march. And of course, at night, it would be a pillar of fire. So God was simply, simply doing what they already understood and what they already knew. And God still does that, doesn't he? God still uses the means of communication that you understand. And he, he uses um, the lecture method. He uses social media. He uses, he uses the same tools that, that are used by the world. He uses them to communicate to you his direction and plan for your life. The crowd, of course, represents the noise, the noise around us that, that can distract us from the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and the destiny that God has for us. So I'm calling today the noise of desire versus a signpost of destiny. You know, our minds are constantly bombarded with feelings. Feelings are, are a part of how we connect with the world emotionally and socially. Uh, but it can be to the point that it can be hard to concentrate on what you're supposed to be doing in the moment or what is best for you. And I'm including the feelings of people around you. Feelings are very, very powerful things. In fact, I would say that our feelings are the most powerful draw in our life. I would say that how you feel or how I feel is the most powerful thing that influences my actions, my behaviors, what I think, what I decide, and what I believe. Unless I learn to cope with these feelings, uh, I will live in the fog. Uh, back in 1994, they had a massive power outage in Los Angeles, California. And so all the, all the lights went out, right? And people began to call 9-11 uh, because they saw this large silvery cloud hanging over the city. And uh, it turns out they were seeing the Milky Way galaxy that they had never seen before. <laughs> so that's, that's how you can get swamped by your feelings. And by, by the way, God, God's designed us this way. God designed to let us feel and react freely without his hyper-attention like a helicopter parent. You know, uh, God has, God shows up in your life. Let, go back to, to the Garden of Eden. Go back to uh, 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 Cain and Abel. Uh, go to uh, the antediluvian anti period, the period before the flood, and how that culture got swamped by feelings and emotions and thoughts and ideas that were not consistent with the plan of God into the Tower of Babel. Every single time, God would show people the plan. He would say, here's what I have for you. And then God steps away. God disappears. 
and let you... Why does he do that? He does that so you can enjoy your life. He does it so you can experience life without him being like a superintending helicopter mom who's always standing over you. Oh, you're not thinking that, are you? You're not going to enjoy that, are you? Not gonna, are you sure you want to eat that? you sure you want... You know, uh, I, I, I read a great... I heard a guy telling an anecdote, a great story about... As a kid... He was having a sandlot fight with a friend. You know, you had those fights when you were a kid. And so a bunch of people were gathering around him and another boy were fighting. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw his mother walk by. And she just kept walking. And he said, I was always so grateful. I was always so grateful that my mom did not come over and try to interfere in my fight. And so that's kind of the way God is. God lets us have our fights. God lets us have our temptations. God lets us have our, our little gossip group. You know, who, you know, I think we need to pray for Pastor Phil and Sherry. I think we need to pray for them. I'm just really concerned. <laughs> you know, God, God lets you have that. God lets you have that emotional thing that you get caught up in. And then a lot of times you find out, wow, I was really wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And where was God? I'll tell you where God was. God was leaving you alone. Because that's what he does. And he does this all the time, including to his people. And in the text I'm about to read, you affirm that this is God's pattern. God allows us to be distracted by the noise of desire from the signpost of our divine destiny. And that's part of... See, see, God is training you to run the world. God is training you. You're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. God is training you to do it. God is not interested in supervising every action that you take. Go ahead and have whatever you want for lunch. Don't pray about it. All right? We could take that a lot of places, couldn't we? It's a lot of stuff that you should you just relax and enjoy life. But keep your eyes on the cloud. And, re- and realize when, when there's a feeling, an emotion, a group of emotions that's taking you away from your destiny. Now the people complain. Now we're going to go to Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. The fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down, so the place was called Taborah. Because the fire from the Lord had burned among them, the rabble with them began to crave other food. The rabble was a group of people that had, were, were half Egyptian, half Israeli. They were, they were people with a, a, a Jewish mother, uh, probably an Egyptian father. They'd probably experienced a little more of Egyptian culture than the average Hebrew had. We don't know for sure. But they begin to crave other food because they had probably had other food in Egypt. And again, the Israelites started wailing. See, see, so the feelings of the few was spreading to the many. And if we only, and the people begin to wail and said, if we only had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost and the cucumbers and melons and leeks, onions and garlics, but now... As we have lost our appetite, we never see anything but this manna. This was this miracle food that was falling out of heaven every day. The manna was like coriander seed, and it looked like resin. 
The people went around gathering it and then ground it in hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled, dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on, our, on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them? Did, why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, Moses telling God, <laughs> go ahead and kill me. <laughs> if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let my face, don't, do not let me face my own ruin. In other words, I'm about to blow up. <laughs> now, there's a lot to unpack there. We're not going to try to unpack it all. But let me be clear. What we're talking about in this series and in this sermon is getting our heads out of the fog of confusion created by the noise of our desires and the noise of the desires of the people around us, inspired by stress, real stress, people that influence us in the normal deprivation of our experience when our goals are high. In other words, when your goals are high, there's a discipline required. That will stress you. It's hard. Your own noisy soul is also the instrument of the adversary that he will use to keep you from going from the life of love, power, and legacy building that God has promised you. Strong cravings. The Bible says that there rose people among them, one translation, with strong cravings. Strong cravings. So God will, uh, the enemy, the adversary, I should say, will bring people in your life with strong cravings, including your own strong cravings, to steal the vision that you got in a moment of clarity. And, uh, and, and that vision that you got in a moment of clarity, it's, it's just a matter of time that the noise will rise up and you won't be able to see the clear thing, the clear destiny that God gave you years ago it will get buried between the noise of the culture, the noise of society, the noise of your own fears and worries and stress. Brian Knight talks about being simple, systematic, and timeless. God gave Adam and Eve, as well as the nation of Israel, a simple formula from going to slavery to destiny. Follow me. Have the faith to follow me. God gave the nation of Israel a systematic approach to overcoming the odds stacked against them and arrive in a new land in a matter of days. Follow the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Not complicated, right? Just like us. He's given us a not complicated way to go in the Christian life, in the spirit-filled life. And then he gave them a timeless set of principles actually written in stone called the Ten Commandments. Uh, societally speaking, after World War II, you know, uh, what happened, there was, a, there was a social shift after World War II. After World War II, we acted as if uh, there was a universal set of values that all people shared all over the world. Based on that, though, we separated those values from God. You see, previously, if, if, a, if culture had been characterized in any way, the values we got were from this transcendent being, God. But after World War II, I think, I think the Western world especially separated 
they decided there was a universal set of values in all human beings all over the world. In fact, the United Nations created a set of um, universal human rights based on what they believed was a human, a universal set of values for all people. But they, got, they separated from them from God, the Bible, and any transcendent source. And, and we kept God around as a consultant and a source of inspiration. So to, uh, but to make our point, we started stripping references to God, references to the Bible, references to the Judeo-Christian uh, foundation. We started, separate, we started stripping them from public institutions. But of course, the, here's what happened though. The same impulses that caused us to reject the Bible and the great religious institutions as sources of guidance also caused us to rebel against this new rationalism. This new idea that there was a universal set, we started to rebel against that, and that caused society to say, okay, you and your institutions have no more right to define moral responsibility through your rationalism than the God that previous generations appealed to as their moral authority. So we rejected, first of all, we rejected God as our authority, and we said the human can have rationale, the human can understand, and, and, and now what's happening right now is we're rejecting the human. We're rejecting the idea of objective truth altogether. We're, object, we're, we're, we're now rejecting that there is any universal values, instead emphasizing the role of the individual and the importance of context and constraints. The constructed, if I can say it this way, the constructed nature of reality. Now we're believing the individual can construct their own reality without any superintending values from anywhere. See, unless you're vigilant and grounded, you and your family will be caught up in the noise of this moment. Even if intellectually you don't take the time to understand what I'm talking about, and that's fine. Unless you are vigilant and grounded, you and your family will get caught up in the noise of the moment, even if intellectually you don't take the time to understand it, which most of us don't. That's fine. But we're swimming in this ecosystem. It permeates our music, our shows, our children's shows, our movies, public policy. Everything is affected by the spirit of the age, right? But... It really doesn't matter whether you're a cultural guy or not. You have your own, and I have my own, Adamic nature. I have my own human nature. So even if the culture is perfect, which it never will be, I will still find a way to have God's destiny taken away from me if I am not careful by the noise of my own desires my own feelings, my own insanity, my own craziness, and my own depravity. Everything that matters is at risk of being lost. All aspects of culture, family, individuality, and personal life are at risk of being lost in the noise of our desires. You know, uh, what, now this growing reverence for feelings that we have right now. We're in a, we're in a cultural moment, great, great reverence for feelings. There's a positive side to it, by the way. We have greater empathy, less shame. That's not all bad, by the way, that we have greater empathy and less shame. We, we have the encouragement of respect. That's not all bad. 
We, we, have, we have the encouragement of what psychologists call self-differentiation, self-differentiation, and it's one of the expressions of emotional health, that you have the ability to differentiate yourself from another. You have the ability to, to be an individual. You have an ability to ha- have discovered your true self. That is not a bad thing. That is a good thing, that you have the ability to discover your true self. You discover what you like, what you like in terms of decor in your house, and what you like in terms of the kind of food you like to eat, and what you might like, what, what you might like in your own family, your own family schedule. All those kind of things are very, very positive and very powerful, and sometimes, sometimes religion can, can create unnecessary shame, unnecessary uh, pressure, to be what you're not, okay? So I'm not saying it's all a bad thing. And I've personally at times uh, uh, been paralyzed by the thought of pursuing ideas and directions that might be disapproved of or criticized by others. And that's not only been bad for me at times, but I believe at times it's cheated others of, of ways that I could have been a blessing to others, but I was fearful that someone would criticize me or disagree with me or not understand me. However, there's a tipping point when our desires take us away from God. Our desires take us away from our intended destiny, like it was doing with Israel right now. See, our Creator is denied His rightful place of defining our existence when our own emotions can define our existence. Our desires and cravings become the sole source of our identity. These people that were marching on their way to the promised land, you know what their sole source of identity was supposed to be? You know what it was? We are the people of God. We're the children of God. We are unique in the world because we are the children of God and we are marching toward a promise and we are marching toward a destiny. We're marching toward a flourishing life that no one could even believe it if they saw it. In fact, we can't even believe that we have been delivered supernaturally from the power of sin and the power of Satan and the power of Pharaoh and the power of oppression. We cannot believe we have been delivered and we have been gifted a land that God is taking us to. It is incredible when our desires become the sole source of identity. That's what happens to people. They, they just became the the fish and melon people. <laughs> they, they became totally defined by what they wanted for lunch. <laughs> they, they become totally defined by, a, by an appetite. Their identity had become, their appetite had become their identity. Their desire had become their identity. That, the, 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 you, you, you know people like that, right? <laughs> their greatest uh, their greatest satisfaction is to get their favorite beverage and um, watch the playoffs. That's the greatest desire. Well, that's not wrong necessarily, right? But God created you for something more noble. God created you for something more amazing than just to be identified by a desire or a propensity or a, uh, uh, whether that desire is uh, material or sexual or whatever. Uh, I, ha- I want to I hire identity. I don't know about you, but I want to hire identity 
than, than my sexual proclivities. Uh, do you hear me? I, I, I want to be a child of God. I want to be a son, and I want you to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God with the infilling of the Holy Spirit and a destiny that is temporally great and then eternally even greater. Got to watch the noise, though. Let me give you some more bullet points on our desires. Our desires can lead us to a lack of accountability for our actions. Our desires can be an excuse for harmful behavior. Our desires can lead to a lack of critical thinking and a failure to consider the impact of our actions on other people. A while back, a a married man and father of several, I think four children, insisted that he must identify as a six-year-old girl and he must dress and act accordingly, therefore interfering with his duties as a father to three or four wonderful children. The noise of desires had overruled the signpost of his destiny. Because what is more amazing than being a father? I'm speaking as a man. What's more amazing? Well, I'll tell you what's more amazing than being a father, being a grandfather. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't thinking. <laughs> I, I was hearing, uh, well, Dana Carvey, you know, Saturday Night Live. I, I saw, I think it was one of those co- coffee with comic things, and they asked him the greatest moment of his life. And here's a guy who's had a lot of fame, a lot of money, and all this. And he said, the greatest moment of my life is when someone called me Daddy. You see, see, if we're not careful, we're going to give up these big destiny things for these little appetite things. We're, we're going to give up these big destiny moments for, for fish and watermelon. <laughs> you hear me? <laughs> I love this verse, Philippians 3. Brothers join... I don't love this verse in a way because it's, it's sad, but <clears throat> it's truth, right? Brothers join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That vision of the cross and the guiding principle of your life, that vision of a flourishing family and, the, and your heavenly citizenship will transform you into being the boss of your feelings. <laughs> Not the other way around. Secondly, I'd like to say to you today that our destiny will lead us beyond the things that matter least to the things that matter most. Not that all those things I talked about earlier are not important in your life, your feelings, your appetites. Like I said earlier, it's a part of God enriching the human experience. You know? Um, 
I, I'm thinking, I, I see you back there, Alex. And, <laughs> and Alex and I uh, are coffee nerds. And, and, and so I took him to my, my coffee shop of the day. And I, I'll never forget what you said, Alex. You said, I said, how is it? She said, he said, it brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> so, so I'm all for indulging our appetites, right? God gave them to us. God gave them to us, but, but it's, it's, called, it's called perspective. It's called perspective. God has given me some, something so much better than anything I could taste. Any human experience I could feel, and there's some pretty amazing ones, by the way, but, but it doesn't compare with the glory of, of God. It doesn't compare with the glory of God for your life. Because you see, those sense, those sense experiences, those sense experiences, those, even those sensual experiences will make you happy for a, a little while. But you're going to have to repeat them to keep yourself happy. You know, I know the Amazon truck pulling in front of your house. <laughs> it, I know it gets all your endorphins and going and do, do, dopamine, all those wonderful chemicals because the Amazon truck just pulled up, right? But, but I promise you, if a week or two goes by, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to click buy again to get that feeling again, right? And Jesus said, Jesus said, if you'll receive my spirit, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Out of your belly will show, and, and, and God will be, always be a prayer away. It won't cost you anything because he paid for everything. And and you won't you won't destroy yourself financially, <laughs> trying to trying to keep that feeling going. <laughs> I, I oh, some of you you may remember uh, uh, Chaplain Bob Harrington years years ago. I, I, I'm probably the only person in the room ever heard of Bob Harrington, and he he was the chaplain of Bourbon Street in New Orleans, and he was evangelist. He was like this evangelist, and he used to have this sermon. It's happy being saved. <laughs> and I agree with him. <clears throat> See, our noisy desires... Uh, let, me, let me... Hang on, let me go back a bit. Our, uh, let me go back to the point I was started to talk about. Our destiny will lead us beyond the things that matter, least to the things that matter most. See, our noisy desires can represent things, interests, people in, our, in your life who have no impact on your God-ordained destiny. Imagine, as I pointed out earlier, being so distracted by wanting to have a certain type of meal that you would throw away your destiny of being a great nation. <laughs> and, and not being under the... You, you would go back to being under the foot of an impressive, uh, oppressive tyranny so you could have a, some fish and chips. <laughs> the adversary uses our desires to please those who have no power to elevate us and those things which have no power to promote us are to preoccupy our spiritual minds. Uh, visit any bar any, any afternoon, and probably including this one, in this area, and you'll hear business people, business leaders, construction workers, and school teachers, and all types, having lively discussions about who's going to play third base for the Red Sox. Or who the offensive coordinator for the Patriots will be next season. See, you, you've all heard of the, the, the Roman emperors what were accused of 
in order to distract the people from their oppressiveness would create give the people bread and and in circuses, <laughs> give them circuses to attend. And I think that's what the devil does. And, and I'm, I, 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 I'm concerned about who the offensive coordinator for the Patriots will be as well <laughs> next season. I'm not, a, I'm not a great baseball fan, but I'm sure if I was, I would be concerned about who was playing third base for the Red Sox, right? But if the devil cannot get you to deny the Lord, he will swamp you with triviality in things that don't matter. And he will cause things that don't matter to take up all of your time in things that have no eternal consequences. Things that have no, they don't even have any long-term temporal consequences. So keep those things in check is what all I have to say. Our noisy desires are are, are, are things that will actually, can actually destroy us at times in, in our God-ordained destiny. So sin is the force that decreases our divine potential. The adversary loves to get hooks in you with some addiction to substance, some substance, some practice uh, or people that crush your potential. He loves to do that. God loves to bring practices, disciplines, and people into your life that make you come alive and bring you into the full potential of your divine calling. If you will look to God, He'll make the world go away. God will strengthen you to realize the gain is worth the pain of going beyond the world and everything it says you have to do. Thirdly, our noisy desires represent those moments in all of our lives when we're convinced a temporary stress or deprivation is intolerable. Regardless of what society is doing we all experience those pressure moments when we think, I can't, I can't take this one more day. I can't take him. I can't take her. I can't take this one more moment. It's too much pressure. Uh, I love the story Shaquille O'Neal tells about uh, he, when he had a really bad game one time. And he call, uh, his father called him up after the game. His father said, come home. So he gets on a private plane, goes home. His father said, you, you, you played badly because uh, you were opposite to uh, Patrick Ewing made you nervous, right? Yeah, I felt pressure playing against Patrick Ewing. That was it. He said, get in the car. We're going to take a ride. They take a ride. They go down the street. Tells him the bad part of town. He pulls up beside a family that's homeless. He said, I want you to look at that family. They don't know where their next meal's coming from. He said, now that's pressure. Playing against Patrick Ewing is not pressure. Don't ever call me again and tell me you have pressure. Go home. Go back to wherever you're playing. Orlando, whatever. <laughs> See, we get convinced, you know, even in a perfectly good marriage, perfectly good church, perfectly good social situation, perfectly good career, you will have an Esau birthright moment. See to it that no one is sexually immoral, he says in Hebrews 12, or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. We all have an Esau moment. I will, I will blow up everything in my life in order to stop this pressure from happening to me right in this moment. <laughs> I, I remember a preacher years ago talking about him and his wife were having a huge fight. And he just, he was thinking, I'm done. I'm, you know, you know I, I guess they had a pretty good marriage, but they, that day it wasn't good, right? And he's storming around the house, thinking how he's going to end this marriage. And he happens to wander into the nursery where their little baby was. 
And he looked down at this beautiful baby cooing in the crib. And he goes, oh, God, I will stay with Frankenstein to get to live to raise this. (laughs) Sometimes you just need to know that what you're going through is just a momentary pressure. And God has something very great for you if you will just hang on. Just go ahead and eat the manna. I said, go ahead and eat the manna and suck it up. Because you're going to the promised land. (laughs) You're going to the promised land. The pillar of fire. Look at the pillar of fire. Look at the cloud. It symbolizes a supernatural God who just destroyed Pharaoh. Who just destroyed the devil. Who just destroyed sin. Who just destroyed death for you. March. Keep marching and eat your happy meal and be happy. Eat your manna. Finally, I would say this today. God is calling a meeting to announce he's not giving up on our future. I mean that. God's calling a meeting right now. I am, I, I look at the world, I look at what's going on around us, it's pretty, pretty daunting. But when I'm looking at the true church of Jesus Christ, I'm getting pretty excited. Because I see an intensity, I see a love, I see a return of the Holy Spirit, I see we're getting our priorities right again. The church is getting cleaned up. The church of Jesus Christ is getting cleaned up. Something good is happening among God's people all over the country. It's not the massive wave. It's not 60,000, 70,000 people in a stadium like Promise Keepers. It's not packed out stadiums like Billy Graham. It's, it's not many things that some of us have experienced. God said, behold, I do a new thing. In Isaiah, I do a new thing. God's doing a new thing right now. I really believe that with all of my heart. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting. And let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself. God God said, I'm not giving up on you people. I'm not giving up on you. Because you have faltered and because you have stumbled, I'm not giving up on you. There's um, probably somebody here this morning right now who... You have come out of a lot of bondage. You've come out a lot of, of a lot of um, addiction and stress. And you've come to this church, and you've kind of never been in a church like this. And you're looking around this room, and you're seeing things, and you're thinking, that's what I want. I want to be like them. I want to have a family like that. I want to have friends like that. I want to be free to worship like that. And when you hear the song sung, there's the lyrics in the song. You haven't heard songs like that before. And there's words in those songs that are painting pictures for you. And you're thinking, that's what I want. I want what's in the pictures, word pictures in those songs. And when the pastor preaches, he's saying things. I'm not even sure what he's talking about. But there's something about what he's talking about that I want. That's, that that's looks like what I want. 
What, what is that? That's the pillar of cloud. That's the tangible evidence that God has a better future for you. That's a tangible evidence that God has a place for you to go that you're going to love and you're going to cherish and you're going to thank Him every day that you didn't go back to Egypt. But the noise is going to come. The noise of Egypt. God's, I mean, the adversary is going to send people into your life with strong cravings. You're going to have strong cravings. The noise of your emotions is going to try to take you away from, from seeing this and make it seem like such an impossibility that it could be for you. And I want you to know that God is calling a meeting at the tent of meeting. And He has a plan to keep you on track. Not to judge you. Not to, not to condemn you. Not to make you feel bad because you occasionally want to go back to Egypt. God has a plan to bless you and to take you on this journey. And He's calling a meeting in the tent of meeting to give you the resources that you need to keep going. I want to close with this verse of Scripture. Do good. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for yourself as a good foundation for the future. Say future. Everybody say future. So that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Let me read that again. So that you may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Let's stand. I want to pray a prayer right now for that person in this room who hasn't crossed that line of faith to become a follower of Christ and hasn't made that decision in their life to go forward and to, 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 to accept that there's another spirit a good spirit, a spirit of truth, a spirit of power, a spirit that will lift you above the noise of the world. And really with the prayer, I want to pray right now is that you're going to receive that spirit into your spirit. And it's going to be the thing that you're going to begin to nurture. Every time you read your Bible, you're nurturing that spirit over the spirit of the flesh and the noise of the flesh. Every time you come to church, you're nurturing that spirit. Every time you meditate on the good things of God. Every time you listen to worship music in your car, you're nurturing that, that good spirit that's going to conquer the bad spirit. I want you to pray. Everybody pray it out loud with me, and some of you are going to pray it for the first time. Heavenly Father, I receive you as my Father. Any other claims on my life, I ask they be broken. I accept your claim on my life. I receive Christ as my truth and my Savior. I receive forgiveness for all of my sins, the lifting of all of my shame. I'm walking with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.